performance ever but frustrating um, you know I feel keep making the same mistakes same mistakes over and over again um, probably started off with the bowling you know our bowling has been the one thing that's been working this this tournament and today a, a well below performance performance probably by Emmy was exceptional once again um, but the rest of the guys yeah probably you know Five, five out of ten performance with the ball, um, 30, 30 runs uh, too many, and then the same thing with the bat once again. You know, guys, or starting innings losing wicket again, um, and then we build something nicely, get a partnership going, and then wicket, and then build, and then wicket. So I feel like I'm saying the same things uh, over and over again, and that's really, really frustrating. Um, but yeah, for me at the moment, I've, it's, it's a confidence thing. The guys are. They're playing with low confidence and, and therefore making more mistakes. So was that the worst ever performance that you've seen the Proteas put out on the park? They are officially out of the Cricket World Cup. No more ramifications, no more arithmetic. They are done and dusted. Two more matches to go for them are ever. And uh, that final one is the final match of the round-robin phase. They play the opening game and they've got a long wait before they get to leave London. It's uh, been a disastrous campaign right from the get-go. Welcome once again to Inside the Cricket World Cup with myself, Derek. Eric Albert, C.S. Duplessis, and of course, Paul Harris. Paul, I'll start with you. Jeez, a disaster. Yeah, hugely disappointing. Uh, you know, I think that's maybe a little bit of an understatement, but you know, it, hasn't, it hasn't been great. I think everything that uh, has, could go wrong has gone wrong uh, literally from the start. You know, you've got injuries that came up. Uh, you know, you've got uh, replacement players, and, and funny enough, one of the replacement players was maybe a standout in, in, in Chris Morris. But uh, it hasn't gone according to plan. Uh, you know, it, it has been a pretty dismal performance, you know, with the bat, uh, with the ball as well, and, uh, and certainly uh, in the field. There have been one or two standouts. I think Imran Tahir showing once again uh, that he's uh, probably the best leg spinner in the world in this environment. And uh, unfortunately, this will be his last campaign, which is not a nice way to go for someone that's given so much to South African cricket. But hugely disappointed. Um, my sort of ex-player hat on I do, I do feel sorry for a couple of the guys I really do uh, being there when you lose it's not a it's not a great feeling uh, but then having said that uh, I think in many instances they've only got themselves to blame uh, and it's not just them it's I think structures everything planning for this World Cup it all didn't go uh, it all didn't go well so do feel sorry for them in a way but another way you know they got what they probably deserved 
it's like watching a TV series that you've been waiting for the final season to come out for like four years. And then the main character dies in episode two. And then you're like, oh, why must I carry on watching the rest of the series? It was so painful this, to watch. This didn't get to episode two. <laughs> no, it didn't get there. <laughs> no. It didn't get faster than no, the first scene. It was so painful to watch. And you've got to feel for the players because there's no doubt they've been trying their best. They just haven't been good enough on the day. And... I just think that that change room must have been a horrible place to be in afterwards, Paul. I mean, you've been there where you guys have gone down and lost, but I mean, what do they say to each other? Because as Derek was pointing out, they've still got two more games. It must be painful to, they just want to get on a plane and get out of there. Look, I was fortunate to never have gone through what they're going through right now. We, I remember we lost a series to Australia here in South Africa after we'd beaten them uh, in, in Australia. And it was, uh, we lost two test matches in a row and it was, uh, it was a pretty you know, sour taste in the mouth uh, having lost that and, and not being used to losing, we had a seriously, seriously good side in those days. That was when uh, the late uh, full use started with the bat. Correct, yes. You got, thanks for reminding me for that. Thank you. You got 200s in one game. I think it was in Durban. And uh, they play, played really well and we were, we were subpar. And it, it, it wasn't a great uh, experience. But having said that, you know, we had a great leadership group there and, and Graham leading us and Mickey Arthur. And we ended up winning that third test match at Newlands by quite some distance and jumped back, straight back on it. So... I don't really know how they're feeling because we didn't we didn't go through that uh, th- th- that often. But I have been in losing teams before, and it's it, it is uh, not a nice place to be. Uh, it's a very difficult place to get out of. Um, I would like to see them. You know, I know that World Cup's gone and we can't make the the playoffs. But if we can just put in two good performances in the next two games and sort of you know try and save some pride, that would uh, you know that, w- that would make me happy. But certainly, there's not a lot of positives to come out of this World Cup. Well, what are some of those positives? I mean, we look at Chris Morris, uh, you know, uh, he's come in as a substitute essentially and he's, he's performed, he's uh, put his hand up. Rusty van der Dis has got going, but in general, the batting has just been just below par across, across the board. Yeah, I think our high score was 69 in the tournament, I think twice, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Quinton the Cock both times. So, you know, if you're not getting, no one's getting 70, uh, more than 70 runs in, in, in a whole campaign, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to win too many. And uh, look, the batters have been, haven't been great, but I, th- I think there was sort of signs of it before the World Cup. Uh, it was sort of painted over by the fact that Quinton de Cock and Fafti Pursue had such good you know, sort of seasons. In the last 18 months, those two have been world-class. They've got most of the runs for South Africa. And obviously in this World Cup, it hasn't been quite the same. So, you know, those, those cracks started widening a little bit. And, uh, you know, when you're losing wickets up front and your two best players aren't getting runs and they, you know, they're kind of the cog in your batting lineup, then the rest of the guys are going to get exposed. And, and that's exactly what's happened. I do agree with you. I think Chris Morris has been a huge positive. I hate to say I told them so that he should have been in that squad from the start. He's, a, he's an X-factor player, and he's a confidence player. And if you give him responsibility, Chris Morris can win you games. Unfortunately, he didn't have enough guys helping him out in this, but if it had been slightly different with a few more guys chipping in, who knows what, what could have happened. And then, obviously, Rassi. You know, a lot of people criticizing Rassi because of his strike rate, but he hasn't really had the opportunity to really, you know, go guns blazing from the start. He's, every time he's come in, we've been in trouble. He's had to dig us out of a hole, and if it wasn't for him, we probably would have lost horrifically uh, in, a, in a couple of the games. So, can't put too much blame blame onto him. Senior players probably haven't stood up enough. Um, you know, a lot of fingers are getting pointed at Robada. Robada's overworked. Robada's injured. I'm telling you right now, he's not bowling anywhere near what he was bowling like at the IPL. Um, I don't think he's recovered from that injury that he had at the IPL, or maybe he's at sort of 70 percent. And the problem is in a World Cup, you can't have players there that are, that are at 70 percent. Lungi and Gidi as well. Lungi and Gidi is probably at 60 percent. Um, so you know, did it bite them 
taking three guys that were injured before, it certainly did. Were there a lot of other options? No, there weren't. So I understand why they went with it. I'm glad you mentioned the two strike bowlers, Lungi and KG, because they were uh, undoubtedly two of the, the biggest disappointments for, for the Proteas uh, following this campaign. And the question was posed to Faf immediately afterwards, uh, their, their last two Pakistan. This is what he had to say. You know, yeah, I mean, the two of them has been the last year they've been brilliant for us. Um, and they have been striking. KG has been bowling quick um, right through the season. Um, I do feel Lungi's fitness is, is perhaps the thing that is, is his biggest challenge. Uh, he hasn't played a lot of cricket. Um, his pace is probably a little bit down from where he used to be. Uh, so that's taking the effectiveness of him away. I mean, he's, he's, he's had his control, uh, but he's coming, hasn't played a lot of games in this World Cup. Yeah, and I think his fitness is, is probably one big challenge that, that he would need to step up. Uh, and then KG, you know, KG is trying. Um, but I suppose with the same thing with KG that a lot of the guys are struggling with at the moment is uh, they haven't started the tournament well and therefore your, your confidence has taken a bit of a hit. Um, and it just rolls on. It's such a snowball effect that your performance is you open your eyes and you, you know, you're doing the same thing again. Um, so that will be something that KG will need to, you know, he's a great bowler. He'll be able to fix that. His career has been one that's been probably just going up and up and up and up uh, every time he's played for us. Um, so this is his, probably his first stumbling block as a great fast bowler. Um, so for him now it would be to how he responds, how he learns in this period and how he makes sure he gets better uh, because he has been great for us, but now he needs to... Um, Take some, take stock of where his bowling is, and then try and get uh, get better as a bowler. Interesting comments there from Fafa, and he went on to say that they actually tried to stop him from playing in the IPL. Oh, they wanted to bring him back a little earlier, and you, you've got to wonder to yourself. There's another fine for me. There it goes. Every week, eh? I think every week. Every week. That's KG phoning you. So yeah, it was mentioned that. They did try and orchestrate him to come back a little earlier. We saw what happened in the end. He ended up injuring himself. I mean, that was disastrous. So then you say, who do you, who do you put the blame on? Is it CSA's fault? Um, is it KG's fault? Because I can imagine there's a lot of money on the table. We know how lucrative IPL is. And do you stop a player from earning that much um, in, in a short career that, that cricketers generally have? Yeah, I, I mean, with the money on the, on the table at the IPL, uh, it's too tempting, Paul. I mean, surely is there there's a way, is there a way you can find an agreement between the IPL and CSA ahead of a World Cup in a World Cup year where the workload is closely monitored and you sign off on five games and that's it? Well, first of all, why would uh, the BCCI do that? Why, why would the, what's in it for them to, to to do that? There's nothing in it for them to do that. So, the short answer is no. Is it a worry? It can be if there's big uh, tournaments that lead up to it but uh, you know you, you certainly can't stop players from going to the IPL I mean if you start doing that then you know there's going to be very short international careers um, you know I'm of the opinion that uh, that the world has become a small place you should allow players to play anywhere in the world and still be selected for their, 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 their national teams I understand there might be conflicts at times but uh, we get into a stage now if we don't wake up in South Africa especially with the Rand dollar rate and the Rand pound rate we're going to lose a lot of players uh, we already have and we're going to lose a lot more if we're not careful. And, uh, you know, Cricket South Africa aren't in a position to be offering guys, you know, sometimes I think uh, I heard that Cricket Australia will offer a guy sort of half the money to stay or a quarter of the money to stay and not go to the IPL. 
just to incentivize them. Whereas I don't know if Cricket Africa are in the position or they're not. We know financially to be able to do that for for the players. So, you know, when you got a guy going over there earning a million dollars, that's that, you know that's a, a, a fair amount of rands. And uh, he's not going to make that in three seasons playing for South Africa. So you can't stop the guys from going. Is it becoming a problem? It already is. It's been a problem for a long period of time, but it's not going to go away. So there's going to have to be a way of Cricket South Africa, or maybe, maybe the future tour program, in saying, right, guys, if we have a World Cup and there's an IPL, let's give it sort of three weeks after the final. You know, not, uh, you know, the, the Indians had that because they, you know, they can boss the show. Uh, they didn't play a game for the first week of, 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 uh, um, of the World Cup because they've got a rule that they can't play you know, from one tournament to another, there's a certain period of time. So it doesn't seem like the other the countries have that same rule. So maybe that's a way of doing it. Uh, I think it was a level of, you know, a little bit unfortunate that we had so many injuries in one go. Uh, but certainly, uh, I, I kind of disagree with Faf a little bit there. Yes, the confidence is down. But uh, what he didn't mention there, well, he mentioned uh, Lungi and Gini's fitness. I do agree with that. I think he's slightly heavy for a fast bowler, so he's going he's gonna to get injured. They need to work on his sort of, uh, you know, let him shed a few kilos and, and getting a bit more trim. But when it comes to Rabada, I mean, he's a machine. The guy's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's built like a, you know, like a 100 meter runner. Uh, you know, he's six foot plus. The problem with him is he's bowled too many overs. I think I read a stat, uh, I think it was this morning, uh, that, that he's, he's bowled the most amount of balls for a 24 year old out of anyone in the history of cricket at this stage in his career. I'm actually going to try and find the tweet now. quite a long distance. He's bowled just over 10,000 balls in international cricket. It is ridiculous. So the guy needs to have a, not just that mentally, he needs to have a break. Uh, They need to, and they can't do it at the IPL. They can't say to him, okay, you can have a break, but it has to be at the IPL. It can't work that way. They've got to find a way to manage him because at the end of the day, he's only 24 years old. We want him to play when he's 34 years old. And 10 years more, we want him to play. So they have to find a way to, 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 to manage his workload a bit better. Here was the tweet that was sent out yesterday. It was by Tom Eaton, SA on Twitter. And he said, update, number of balls bowled in all international cricket by the age of 24 years and 29 days. He listed a whole lot of famous fast bowlers. Just going to go over a few of them. Uh, Kurt Ambrose and Alan Donald, zero. Glenn McGrath, 1,427. I'll move uh, further down the list. Dale Stain, 2,040. Uh, Michael Holding, 3,066. Sean Pollock, 3,516. And Teeny, 3,500. Uh, Jimmy Anderson, 4,000 odd. Wazimakram, 7,000 odd. Rabada, 10,974 balls. That's incredible. That's incredible. So, so what's the next move now? So you've got Sri Lanka and Australia. KG will want to play you know, for the rest of the World Cup, but maybe you rest him for the Sri Lanka game, you know, and, and bring in Buren. What do you do? Yeah, I think you, you probably will see a bit of that. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced he's carrying a niggle and I, and I'm, I don't think there's any point in playing him or in Gidi uh, in, in, in the next games, just just purely because of the, you know, because of the, of the injuries. Um, I think they might be forced to play Rabada, uh, but, uh, you know, at this stage, there's no point in risking it. And, and I, I agree, I would give him a break. Uh, not just a sort of physical break, but also a, a mental break. Uh, you know, that stat start team was leading because he started playing when he was 19 for South Africa. I'm not sure those guys were all that age when they when they started, but it just shows you. Well, how Donald much wasn't even playing international even cricket. Correct. So, so it just shows you, you know, uh, how long he's been playing, and, and he's still he's still a youngster. He's 24 years old, with uh, and he's leading this attack day in and day out, and it, it, it takes strain on you. I can tell you that it, it de- definitely takes strain on you, not just your body, mentally. And uh, they'd have to find a way, as I said before, to manage Rabada. We want him to play 100 plus test matches. We want him to play close to 300 one-day internationals, and we want him to be happy. Yeah. And uh, the only way they're going to do that is, 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 is we don't want another Amy de Villiers, for example, where he's sort of burnt out at age 28, takes IPL deals, and all these deals around the world doesn't play for South Africa. 
There, I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, and and Paul, you closer to to this than than us, of course, when anything that comes to cricket, really. But I, mean, you could probably say that it's amazing how South Africa managed to do so well in international cricket, given the circumstances when it comes to the administration of the game back home. You spoke about how dire Cricket South Africa's financial position is. Uh, what's it at the moment? Uh, in the negative six hundred million. Yeah, look, I haven't, I haven't seen their, their, their figures. I just saw an, an article on it. And um, I mean, I've, I've never seen uh, how it got there or why it's gotten there, but it's, it certainly is a worry. Um, you know, another worry is, is, is SACA, the Players Association, taking them to court uh, for changing the, the structures of cricket without, uh, you know, including SACA, who people don't know. Uh, it's the Players Association in Africa. It's very powerful. It's got 100% of the workforce. And, uh, and, and, and they're stakeholders in the game. So, you know, it's... It, it, it is a worry uh, how it got to this uh, th- this level. Uh, I'm careful not to have a sort of again, like I mentioned, uh, off air to Paddy Upton, in which we will hear in the in the in the, in the podcast. Is you don't want to have a knee jerk reaction and say everyone needs to go. I mean, it's not like that. Um, I do think though that if they have a, they need to set something up and try and find sort of where their weaknesses are and how they can improve at all levels, not just uh, the players, but also administrative, uh, sort of uh, grassroots level. Throughout the, 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 the levels of South African cricket, they need to have a look. I think it needs to be independent because I think you can have a few oaks ducking for cover. Guys trying to keep jobs, it's natural. I mean, you, you would, you would, uh, most people will be under pressure at Cricket South Africa at the moment. So it would have to be somewhat independent and they'd have to have a look at it and say, listen, guys, this is where we can cut corners or financially. Uh, this is where we can uh, strengthen our systems. Uh, this is where we can strengthen maybe even a board level. Uh, get more ex-players involved. I don't see many ex-players involved in Cricket South Africa. In fact, generally, the ex-players are pushed away by Cricket South Africa because they're quite uh, robust characters with uh, with their own ideas and how things should happen. And maybe that's the time now we get these guys in. I mean, I don't see much of Joao Cullis involved in South African Cricket. Mark Boucher and, you know, and Ashwell Prince, who's quite a fiery character. Don't see him, but maybe that's what they need. A little bit of a fiery character in there just to you know, mix things up. Uh, so I don't see a lot of these guys. Makai and Tini, I'm sure you can help a lot of our young bowlers. Don't see a lot of these guys uh, involved in South African cricket, and they've almost been pushed away. You've got to retain a guy like Imran Tahir, for example. I mean, you get that expertise. It's all about the IP. You get but, that IP the over years is, of playing, The right? problem is you've got to pay for that IP. No, fair enough. And that's how serious you are about your cricket then. Well, there we go. And that's, my, my, that's been the issue with cricket in Africa, is, is that it's become a bit of a, a full circle. That they're struggling financially, so they can't pay these guys what they want to get paid in order to give away their IP, as you so... Uh, rightly put, and uh, then they'll go somewhere else, and they'll and they'll and they'll give it away where it, you know they're going to get paid the most, and that's as simple as that. The scary thought for me is is that it, it almost looks as if it's only going to get worse unless there is a massive overhaul from the top down. So we've spoken about the financial uh, problems that CSA have, uh, Saka uh, suing the the board given the fact that they're not changing the entire structure of uh, the domestic front. And speaking of the domestic front, I mean, that, that's an absolute disaster. The, the domestic cricket being played now at the moment is not of a high standard. And players are leaving. And on top of that, no fans are coming in. I mean, you look at the games, the finals of our domestic tournaments, there's no one there. Look, I think that's got a few reasons for it. I, I do agree that our, our domestic cricket is not as strong as it once was. And I always guard myself in trying to say my era was a lot better. But I think in this case, it, uh, that is the truth. I think there were a lot more cricketers in the system. Uh, There's a lot more to pick from. Uh, if I look at the, especially the, the, the Titans side, we had a lot of guys that were incredible cricketers sitting out. You know, Justin Kemp at, at, at stages didn't make our, our four-day side. So you had guys that really were uh, great cricketers not making the side, which I don't see right now. 
Um, I think that there's a massive problem financially. There has to be a restructuring of some sorts in the domestic game because clearly the domestic game is bleeding Cricket South Africa dry. So there's got to be a way. And I, just, I haven't seen, I mean, I don't want to comment on how they should restructure it because I haven't seen, the, and I don't know the inside workings of, you know, how they're losing money, where they're losing money, how they can uh, sort of regain that, 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 that money. I, I don't understand how 11 teams is going to make a difference from six I do understand that they're not going to have any amateur cricket, but then how do you get players to come through? Yeah. So, you know, do you rely on your clubs and your, and, the, and, your, and your universities then to bring players through? Who funds those clubs and universities? So somewhere along, you know, I don't understand how it's going to work, how 6 to 11 makes it, makes it, makes it better. Uh, but I understand how they're saying they're going to lose, I think it's six teams because they won't have the, the, the amateur arm. But that's very dangerous. You need your B-section cricket to sort of, you know, full up your main sides and you know if you don't have a university or a, you know, like a tux or a uct or a, a big university in your, in your area how are you going to get these players to come through is there not a room i mean putting aside the financial situation to do like a draft like they do in the u.s right with their nba and nfl so you get these however many provinces playing and they get to pick you know top talent so you spread the talent junior talent around the country so that even if you are a top tux player you go to to play for you know down in the cape or natal wherever it may be that can be quite tricky though because what happens if you say to a player you're gonna go play natal he says no i don't want to play i want to i want to stay in pretoria or i want to stay in cape town uh you know forcing players to 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 to, to move for me is not the answer um, you know, a lot of people say there's, 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 there's two franchises, let's go, let's go with the Cobras and the Titans that have the bulk of the players. There's a reason for it. They want to play there. Uh, you know, the guys want to be in a winning culture. They want to win games. They want to be involved with maybe the coach that's there. Um, so it's very difficult to then say to them, okay, no, you have to go play here. They're just going to say, no, I live in Pretoria. I always have. This is where I want to play my cricket. So I understand what you're saying. But in those instances, money talks. So those guys are moving, not they're getting offered pretty decent yeah, contracts sure. to, go and, to go and do that. Whereas if you're on the peripheral, you're not going to get the same thing here in, in South Africa. And also what happens in those cases is that we're talking about privatized institutions where they are owned, they're a business. And, and it's not the case here in South Africa whatsoever. So, but I would love to see that. I, I think the closer we get to an American model, the sooner the better. I think Francois Pinot's always sung the praises of the American uh, setup. I mean, he, he got involved with varsity sports back in the day. He was instrumental in getting varsity sports at the ground. And I think he, he went on uh, a sightseeing mission when he went over to America before varsity sports started. And he said, we need to follow the American example. And I mean, we always know how b- America's bigger and better. And the proof is in the pudding. I'll give you an example, though, where the big difference is, is that they don't play international sport. Yeah. They do, but very, very seldom. So what would happen if you privatize sort of, let's, let's just use the Titans, the easiest one for me to, to, to give an analogy on. And, and let's say, for example, a big corporate buy the Titans. So now it's run, it's owned, or one individual decides, no, he wants to buy the Titan, wants to own it. And then Cricket Africa said, oh, by the way, we need this, this, and this player to come play for us next week in a test match. He's going to say, no chance. They're playing for me because I own them. I bought them. So it, we're comparing a little bit apples that, to grapes. That's a very good point. We're comparing apples to grapes when it comes to the business model because who owns them then? Does Cricket Africa own them? Is international sport and cricket worth more than domestic sports? So it, the problem with cricket is, is that domestic sports becoming more important than international sport. And we've seen it with the IPL. We've seen it with the Big Bash. So are we going to make cricket here in South Africa more important than international sport or is international sport going to be the pinnacle store? Is there not room within that a model though to just from a youth point of view to get talent around the country you know like on a loan system or something like that well there is a loan system at the moment uh, the players have moved around a little bit and they are toying with it I think it's a good idea the problem comes in is is that if you have an injury or two and you need that player back 
you know, and then you have to quickly ship him back, which you can, it can, it can work. But the strength to a good franchise side is your depth. If you have one or two guys getting called up to national sides, if you have one or two injuries, you've got the guys that are good enough to step in and still compete at that level. And most franchises at the moment don't have that depth, and that is the, that is the big problem. I suppose you, what you're saying helps with depth at other franchises, but it might take away, away from others. So it's a difficult one. But to, to, to run it as professionally as you guys are saying, that business model doesn't work if it's not the most important part of the sport. Well, let's look at uh, the Proteus players. Uh, where's you from here? Because yeah, uh, we're going to chat to Paddy Appen in a, in a short while. Let's uh, wrap up the Proteus performance at uh, England 2019. Well, the UK 2019. Hashim Amla looks to be a, a, as good as gone on the international front, perhaps continuing in the test arena, but I, I think his ODIs and, and T20 days are numbered to us. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that, um, you know, he'll, he'll shift that focus. I don't think we'll see much ODI or T20 stuff from Hashim. Um, I don't see him retiring outright, but I think possibly around the test fringes. Paul, I differ slightly. I, I, I don't think. I think if he, if he's, I think after this, I think Hashimamla will stop. It's just my opinion. I, I mean, I'd like, love to see him carry on in the test arena. Um, I, I feel incredibly sorry for him. I think that a guy of, uh, that has done so well in, in, in white ball cricket, you look at his stats; it's absolutely incredible. I think he was the second fastest to a milestone recently. I can't remember what the milestone was. Uh, 8,000. 8,000. 8, he missed it by, 8, by one ODI. Oh, one ODI. Yeah. So, and he hasn't yeah, had, and, and has had a great time of it uh, of late. So you just mm. imagine how good he was. To be, he possibly should have beaten Bureau Kohli, the fastest to 8,000. So Well, up to that point, I think he was fastest to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 continuous. So, you know, I, I, I feel terrible for him because he's such a good cricketer. And, and, and you know, to go out like this is not how anyone would choose it so he hasn't been great uh, we all know that he's you know he's he will know that as well but you know a great like that deserves to go out with a with, with, you know on a on a better footing than he has now but i don't i don't see him playing a lot more cricket after after this world cup what was it like for you when you realized it was time to to hang up the spikes look i was uh i, I struggled and, and, and this mustn't sound i hope it doesn't sound arrogant anyway i struggled to go down from international cricket down back down to first class cricket uh, I, I found that I wasn't challenged enough. Uh, not that I'm a world beater, but I just wasn't challenged enough. Um, so, I mean, I played two years of first-class cricket after I was, uh, was left out of the, the test squad. And um, I, was, I broke my finger, and it was a December time, went away. Came back, played one forwarder game, and I'd been toying with it, and I was on the physio bed. Ian Repton was um, helping me out with my dodgy knee. And I just said to him, I can't do this anymore. And I, that night, I spoke to my wife. She said, no, you've been thinking about this for a while. And the next day, I told the team that I wasn't, uh, wasn't playing. But it wasn't an overnight thing. I thought about it for quite some time. There was business opportunities as well, which made, a, a huge, it made the decision slightly easier. Um, you know, getting a job when you're sort of 33 out of cricket is a lot easier than getting a job when you're 40 when you come out of cricket. So I made that decision. I suppose I probably could have played a bit longer, but... It was pretty. Uh, it was it was pretty damning evidence in my mind that it was time for me to move on. Yeah, I think it comes back to that uh, IP thing for me. You want a Hashim Amla around the setup some way in a consultancy role or something, or at least mentoring young guys coming through. And and I just think he would be a loss for him to just sort of stop playing right now. I think he. I, I think he, he would definitely want to be involved. I think it, there'll be a, a period of time where he, if he does call it quits, I'm not sure if he's going to. But if he does, where he'd want to get some perspective and get away from the game for a period of time, it's been such a huge part of his life for so long. I mean, it's the only job most of these guys have known. So, you know, it's a, it, it, it isn't an easy decision to make. Um, and I'm sure he'd want to stay in the game um, afterwards. But I would imagine there'll be, especially with 
with Hashimi. You know, he likes to go away, think about things. He doesn't make rash decisions. And the same with his retirement. I'm sure he's going to make the right call for him and his family. Um, but certainly, I'd love to see him carry on in the test arena for a bit longer, but I'm not sure he's going to. And I imagine uh, day three of a four-day game, going out for another warm-up, you know, at a certain time of your career, you're like, enough's enough. Well, it's easy for the batters, and that's not difficult <laughs> at all. It's the bowlers that are the problem. Yeah, I think that, look, that, that does play a part as well. And I think that the sort of body and the mind, and he's been there for so long that, uh, you know, he'll know where he's at. And, uh, at the, at, you know, the beautiful thing about it is his decision. You know, I don't think it's going to be his decision in white ball cricket. I think that might be made for him. Uh, or you might jump out ahead of it. But, uh, you know, certainly I would like to give him these next two games and you know, give him a good uh, sort of send-off if that is the case. Just having a look at the signing 11 that played against Pakistan. So, uh, Hashim, uh, spoken about him. Uh, Quinton de Kock, we all know he's, he's got a big future still to play. Uh, very disappointing tournament from his perspective, though. Um, it, well, you could pretty much put it down to nine of the 11 players. I think uh, the exceptions being Rasif Anderson and Chris Morris. Uh, Rasif, for instance, uh, he's uh, on the early side of 30. So he's got a, a few more left, uh, a few more years left in him. Aidan Markram, uh, a very disappointing tour from, from him. Yeah, it has been, and I was one of the one that sung his praises before the World Cup. It just seems that uh, he's struggling a little bit against the slower bowlers uh, in this World Cup. Uh, you know, his his main position is open the batting, so maybe that's one of the the reasons behind it. But he's got a lot to work on when it comes to that aspect of his game. And getting thirties, you know, you don't win many games if your uh, your batters get thirties. So he has been disappointing. He'll know that as well. Uh, but you know, he's a good player. He's a young player. I think it's someone we can invest in for the future. I think whoever, whatever, whatever sort of changes they make at any level whatsoever, I think Adam Markham's the kind of guy you want to keep in your setup. Uh, you know, you want to nurture him and, and, and invest in him. Because the last thing we need is uh, Adam Markham leaving and going and taking a call pack, for example, at a, at a very young age. We need him to be involved in Savering Picket for the next 10 years. There's no doubt he's a, he's a potential captain candidate. There's no doubt. I mean, personally, I think Rassi Funadissen should Fuff decide... You know, he's done with white ball cricket, which is highly unlikely. But let's say a guy like Rusty van Edison could come in and potentially fill a, a leadership role there within the side. I think that's the trickiest decision they've got to make uh, coming out if Faf doesn't want to carry on. Um, look, one thing we must make abundantly clear is that everyone was praising the leadership of Faf see before the World Cup. Uh, you know, he was a good leader, this and that. Now all of a sudden, everyone's saying he's not a great leader. You don't just lose great leadership overnight. He is still a good leader. Um, have they made some mistakes? Has he made some mistakes? I think so, yes. He'll be the first to admit that. Uh, you know, that sort of uh, lackadaisical approach in the beginning of the World Cup. Was that the right thing to do? Probably not. Uh, so he made a few mistakes, which is, is going to happen to anybody, and he's a, he's a very good leader. The problem comes in is if he doesn't want to do it anymore or if he wants to retire. I was going to say that because... Who is the next guy? And that, and, and that is, for me, the hardest decision that, 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 that Cricket South Africa or the powers that be are going to have to make. Uh, you know, there is an Aidan Markram who's a born leader, but does he warrant his place in the side? Um, you know, you've got a guy like Rassi van Dissen, never captain in his life, and uh, you know, not that I know of. Um, he's only played a handful of games. Yes, it's gone well for him now, but what happens if he comes in and it doesn't go so well? And, you know, it's, it's difficult to have a youngster, like, well, he's not such a youngster, but a guy who's played a handful of games come in and do that job. So there isn't a standout now, or unfortunately, Adam Mockram would be, but he just doesn't warrant his place, in my opinion, at the moment in that uh, ODI side. But who would, though? Because I, I look back at the last time we had such a disastrous Cricket World Cup campaign. That was when we hosted back in 2003. Sean Pollock got the boot that brought in a young up-and-comer, uh, Graham Smith, who at the time, uh, you could warrant maybe... I mean, he didn't even make the World Cup squad at the time. He was brought in as a late replacement for the injured John G. Rhodes midway through the tournament. Graham was immediately made captain yeah. after the disaster. So do we go back 
I mean, history repeating itself. Is there a full overall from top to bottom, new captain? I'm not sure Graham's going to do it now, though. <laughs> so I think that option's, I think that option's I out. I think he's enjoying commentary <laughs> I, think that option, I think that option's out now. Look, I think if you're going to go that route, and I hear what you're trying to say, you're going to go that route, then, then Aiden Markram, I think, is your guy. If you're going to put all your eggs in that basket, and then you can do it in all three formats of the game. Uh, I think it's tough to have a captain in white ball and a captain in test matches, although the Palmers have seemed to, go, have seemed to get that, that, one, that one right. Uh, maybe I'm a bit archaic in my thinking. Maybe that is the way to go. Maybe it is a, sort of a, a de-stress as well for the captain uh, not to, uh, to have all three formats on his mind at all times. But, you know, we do, uh, you know, the, the, the bar has been set at World Cups. So, you know, you need to get that part right, especially in white ball cricket. Your captain's important. And if you're going to go that route, I think they're going to, if I was them, if I had to make the call, then um, I would say, okay, cool, I'm putting my eggs in one basket, Aiden Walker, and you the captain, sort your game out, and let's go forward, let's move forward. If I'm not mistaken, is it India and then England? Uh, what's that? The tour is coming up. Oh, uh, we, we've got England in December, I think, uh, yeah. if I'm not yeah. mistaken. But uh, I mean, it's a big series, so would that not be a carrot for some guys to sort of see as they're like send-off potentially after this World Cup? Or do you think the World Cup, the damage is done and a lot of guys will be like, I'm done? Oh, I don't know. That's, that, that's a difficult one to answer because I think everyone's in a different position uh, or different uh, stage in their life. Or, you know, I think certain guys have already said they're, that they're, they're on their way. Dumini said that. Iman Tahir said that. So this will all be their swan song. Uh, I'm not sure that Dale Stane will be able to come back. We don't know. Uh, he hasn't mentioned anything, but uh, that you, you would imagine that he wouldn't. Uh, you know, so... It's a tough one. Uh, you know, the only other Oaks that uh, look there is Hashim, Faf. Are they going to carry on? And they're the best guys to answer. Those. I don't know where they are in their, in their lives, and they're the best guys to answer those, those questions. But certainly would not, nice to see Faf and, 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 and Hashim carry on, especially in test cricket. But generally, that's the first one to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a New Year's Day test that's Newlands. I mean, that's like a highlight for a lot of players in their careers. And it's good to, that we've got it back finally because uh, we lost out on that uh, not too long ago. One more player I, I want to touch on. And it's ironic that we're speaking about test cricket now because he won't be involved in uh, the, the Red Bull game. And that's David Miller. Uh, a strange tournament from him. And, and often he, he's first to get blamed a lot of the time on social media because he's known as this out-and-out hitter of the ball. Uh, certainly hasn't come to the party in this tournament, but then again, very few Proteas have. Where, where do you see his future going, uh, Paul? I mean, uh, what one or two years ago, he, he said that he was giving up uh, the test or, or four-day cricket, five-day cricket, uh, to focus purely on, on the white ball. Look, I think he's another guy we've got to look after. He's still young, uh, David Miller. Um, he's, he's a good cricketer. He's a dangerous cricketer. Um, you know, you've you got to put some of the blame at his door, a lot of the blame at his door as well for, the, for, for what's happened in this, in this World Cup. But again, you know, guys like him, if you are sort of 30 for three, 60 for four, 100 for five, and he's going to come in and rectify and then smash it at the end, it becomes tricky. It's not his A game. Um, you know, he's not been asked to do that a lot of times. Uh, and you know, it's been out of his comfort zone. Um, is it something he needs to work on? 100% yes. Uh, you know, you've got a couple of 30s in this tournament, didn't kick on as everyone else did. But he's young, he's talented. Uh, the last thing we want to do is lose a guy like David Miller in Safran cricket. We want to keep him in. Um, you know, we want him to play the next World Cup, uh, certainly. Um, and that's something you can build on. You know, if you've got these guys in the waiting in the wings as well, very good cricketers waiting in the wings, especially batters, that I see uh, that, that you can also you know, invest in. He's one of the senior players. He's been there. He's played over 100 one-day internationals. And uh, he's the, must be the guy that nurtures the next crop of players coming through. You don't want to get rid of all your senior players in one go. You know, a couple of guys are going to retire. You're going to need a few guys there to guide them through this process. 
Not a dark horse for a leadership role. I mean, I know you said let's try and have one captain across all three formats, but over 100 ODIs, I mean, he's, he's got experience. He's not a guy you could maybe have as a leader in the side. Look, I think Miller needs to get his game right first. Um, before that, um, I, th- I think he needs to concentrate more on himself. Um, I know Pup very well. He's, uh, he's, he's out there. He's a typical Durban boy. He's all over the show. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that that would be uh, best fit for his yeah. personality. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly a player for the future, yes. I think that he's someone that they've got to look at to keep within the structures. Him, Aidan Markram, Rassi van Edison, uh, Rabada. Guys that, you know, Rabada's a senior player. He's 24 years old. It's, it's actually <laughs> scary. But you need a group of senior players in that side. You can't just go and take okay, everyone out. Now we're going to bring a whole lot of youngsters in. It, it can't work that way. You've got to have a few senior players, batters and bowlers in that, in that setup. A guy like Chris Morris, they've got to keep him in the setup. He's only 30. 32. He's 32. Yeah. He could play up until the next World yeah, Cup. If yeah. he wanted to, he could, if they nurture him well, he could play up until the next World Cup. Senior player. Um, you know, he thrives in a senior role. Uh, you know, he's another guy. Try and keep in the system if you can. I've got to ask you, Paul and, and Derek, also, next spinner. Tahir is out. Is, is Shamsi the guy that, you know, he's been a little bit inconsistent? I mean, Imran Tahir is a phenomenal cricketer. Um, and it's a pity he came on when he did later on in his career. But who's the next guy that slots into that ODI role? No, I think it is Shamsi. I think he's been the best in the, in the domestic scene. I think that the problem with Shamsi is he's been chasing Imran Tahir. Uh, when, and you know, with Shamsi, he gets a game here or there. Uh, he knows he's not going to play the next game if it's not spinning friendly. So he goes into the game looking like he's going to get four for 30. Otherwise, he's not going to play the next game. And I just feel he's been searching too much for wickets. Yes, he is an attacking option, but I, I think you'll see once Imran Tahir is out the picture and he comes in, we're going to see a big, uh, a, a big difference in Shamsi if we can get enough runs. And that goes back to the next question that, that you posed a little earlier, yes, because now we've got two more matches to play. Um, first up Sri Lanka, then we finish things off against Australia. Two nothing matches as far as the Proteas are concerned. Now, does Shamsi get game time, looking to the future, or do you give Imran Tia his swan song farewell to South Africa for the final two? I'd play both. Yeah, it also depends what the weather's like. I mean, I suppose uh, you want to have a look at the weather. If it's, uh, you know, I think that's... Uh, you, if it's going to swing around and you're probably not going to play, maybe Buren Henriks can come in. Injuries too, yeah. But uh, look, I would. Imran is definitely playing the last two games for me. Uh, I think it's uh, only fair to, to, to do that, give him a proper send-off. You know, game against Australia, last game, why not? You know, give the guy a proper send-off. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do that. Uh, I, I think you're going to need a crane to get him off the field uh, for those last two games, even though they're not uh, going to you know, amount to anything. They're sort of dead rubbers. They're still one-day internationals. And, you know, as a youngster, you, you, know, you grew up dreaming of playing one internationals. And he's got two left. So I'd give him that proper swan song. He's been amazing for South Africa. And uh, if the conditions suit, then you can bring, bring Shammo in as well. Right. I think that's uh, pretty much done and dusted as far as South Africa is concerned. Um, we'll uh, wrap up the rest of the tournament uh, shortly after this. Uh, we caught up with one Paddy Upton a little earlier. So one of the questions that we posed to a lot of people on Twitter was what changes need to be made to the Proteas following the disastrous uh, 2019 Cricket World campaign? And one of the biggest names that uh, was mentioned throughout the responses was one, Paddy Upton. And uh, we're lucky to have him on the line. Uh, Paddy, you're a, you're a cricket coach uh, by trade at the moment uh, over in the IPL doing wonders with the Rajasthan Royals, but uh, also very much a head coach. I mean, you've been involved with the Proteas for, for many, many years. Yeah, where, where did it all go wrong? Um, yeah, that's a good question, you know. It's, 
I think there's a couple of things that we look at. So what sets up success in a World Cup campaign like this? One, you need to have the requisite skill. Like we see teams like England and India arrive with a lot of really, really good players. I'm not sure that we've, at the moment, in South African cricket, got really great players. Um, you know, we've got some youngsters coming through and we've got a couple of guys at the back end of their career. So I think one is a timing thing. We don't quite have the skill and there's nothing one can do about that. The second thing is, is preparation. Um, and I don't, preparation and planning, I don't think we've cut any corners between Fuff and the players and Otis Gibson. They're probably prepared as well as they could. Um, attitude is the third piece, you know, the, the mindset, um, the players' mindset. It's difficult to comment on that, but someone like Fuff, you see, I really do rate him highly as a leader, and I'm sure he's doing all the right things and making the right noises. And the, the fourth piece is, is the environment, the culture. We're here in business you know, culture, each strategy for breakfast. And do we have the right culture of high performance in the team? Probably we do, but is it underpinned, probably most importantly, by a real performance of high, a culture of high performance within South African cricket, starting out in the offices of Cricket South Africa, going through to the, the provincial administrations, the provincial teams, and all the way down to grassroots. Are we promoting high performance in this country, and I think that's probably where we've got the opportunity to make the most, um, cover the most ground and, and fix them the most amount of crap. Tony, you jumped on a bit of the preparation. Do you think that maybe not missed a trick on the sort of mental side of it, not having someone there? Uh, you know, you mentioned that maybe not the best players, and I agree with you. I don't think that we uh, can compete when it comes player for player with the likes of an, of, of an India at the moment. Um, but do you think maybe missed a trick on the fact that there wasn't someone, because of the fact that we're probably not the best players uh, in, in the tournament, maybe we could have sort of fought better when it comes to the sort of the mental side and having someone there that could help the guys out with that? It's a really good question, that, and the... The, the, the popular and common answer is yes, you should have a mental conditioning or a sport coach or a sports psychologist there because theoretically the mental side of the game is so important. Realistically, how many teams have got a mental coach there? I don't know, but probably far fewer have um, got than haven't got. Uh, and I, I'm not sure that a mental conditioning coach is all that important, which might be a very strange comment coming from someone who is a mental conditioning coach because the the what conditions the player's mind is the culture within the team so if you have leadership that shout and perform and players make mistakes you will have a culture of fear of failure if you have a team where the leadership makes winning really really important uh, and losing a real problem you will have a culture of people it'll have a culture of pressure um, that undermines people's performance so the mental conditioning of a cricket team actually happens at the level of leadership, which is the coach or captain or some combination of those two. Um, and if you've got really healthy leadership from that perspective, then it's slightly less important to have a mental conditioning coach. Paddy, I'd like to find out, um, firstly, congratulations on your book. I believe it's doing very, very well, and uh, may the success continue. Confidence in sports a funny thing, and uh, does confidence come from that culture, or is it from a, a special performance, or is it something that sort of clicks in the change room? I mean, can you maybe shed some light on that? So for me, confidence, yeah, it's actually a big problem, almost, confidence in sport, in that confidence is a very short-term and superficial mindset that is attached to results. 
So if you win, you end up with confidence. If you're losing, it undermines confidence. So relying on confidence is a real problem because it's results attached. It's attached to results and short term. Where I think what's really important is within a human being, it's having self-esteem, which remains pretty consistent. If you do well or you do badly, self-esteem remains about the same, and it doesn't rely on winning in order to raise it, or and it doesn't get lowered by losses. So within the team is the team energy or the team feel, or effectively the self-esteem within the team. Do we really believe in ourselves that if we win games, it doesn't mean we need to get all buoyant and, and uppity, and if we lose games, it doesn't say anything negative about the team. And are we consistently building that team self-esteem? So for me, confidence, I'm a little bit cautious when people start hanging on to confidence. And confidence players, when, they, when they're up, they're up. But the thing with a confidence player, when they're down, they stay down a lot longer than what is necessary. Just a quick one from my side. I would actually like to get your, your insights on this. Obviously, when a team is done as badly as, as the Proteas have done, there can be a sort of a knee-jerk reaction and you know, everyone's saying, fire everybody you know, from, from the sort of board level all the way down to you know, junior coaches. Everyone must go. And you know, I sometimes try not to be too knee-jerky when it comes to these things and have a bit of perspective, wait a while, and then sort of come, you know, come up with a, with a plan. But in your opinion, do you think that there's a lot that needs to, you know, a lot of guys that need to go? Is it, is, is, is it a complete overhaul or is it, is, is, is it less worrying than that? Uh, no, it's not a complete overhaul and it's definitely not a knee-jerk. What it is, it's an honest assessment of where the areas where things are working and to not think or mess with those. And to have an honest assessment of where are the areas where we can improve or we've got cracks in the system, and let's have a proactive, mature, medium to long term remedial processes for those areas where we can get better. But it's definitely not the short term, let's suddenly fire a whole lot of people and put a whole lot of other people in just so we can say to people, oh, look, whoever's made, made those hiring and firing decisions, oh, look, we've done our job and we've hired and fired. But we could actually hire and fire so straight back into exactly the same or even a worse situation. I'll never forget, Paddy, uh, before the 2011 Rugby World Cup, there was a book doing the rounds. I forget the title, but it was about the All Blacks uh, trying to win that elusive World Cup for a second time. Of course, they won it back in 87, and since then it was heartache after heartache after heartache. However, from 2011, I mean, we all know the story they've gone on to, to lift the trophy three times. And, I mean, for the Proteus, there's a book by Luke Alfred not too long ago called The Art of Losing. And it particularly referenced uh, the Proteus when it comes to the World Cup. Is this our Everest that we'll never conquer? I mean, going into this tournament, we weren't the favorites at all. But we certainly weren't expected to lose every match except against Afghanistan. And... Yeah, I mean, it's almost, you speak about confidence and, 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 and the mental side of things. They go into something like this, there's a mental block. I mean, can you ever see South Africa winning a Cricket World Cup? The answer is yes, I can see us winning a World Cup. But if we take, go back to, I think that, that New Zealand rugby is a great example. So I think, I'm not sure on the exact that, but we've probably got more rugby players in South Africa than New Zealand has people. Uh, and yet a small nation like that is, is doing so well in winning World Cups. And if we were to look at how is New Zealand rugby ran with, as a whole organization within the entire country from the top all the way down to grassroots level, 
we will find they're getting a whole lot of things right in a whole lot of areas throughout the system. And that entire system is producing a really strong and robust 15 players at the top of the pile. Um, in South Africa, are we do we have a similarly or comparably professional, organized, well-run system with good people making decisions and hiring and firing people for the right reasons of serving the game, serving the athletes in the country? Um, if we did that in this country, there's no doubt that we would be in, for, in, a, in a really, really strong position from schoolboy all the way to international cricket. So, great example for New Zealand. And again, this is now a time, and cricket, not dissimilar to, I think, the political situation in the country, that is really calling for really, really good, responsible, mature, forward thinking leadership. And if that comes to the fore, all those areas within the cricketing system, We've got the players, we've got everything it takes to be able to get our top 15 players in the country to our Everest. Paddy, just a, a final question from, from from me is that I mean it looks that Otis Gibson won't be uh, sort of carrying on much longer after or at all after the World Cup. Uh, without mentioning names, to put you on a spot, if you were the person in charge, what kind of sort of coach would you be looking for? Uh, and you can't mention yourself, Paddy, okay, in this one. <laughs> what sort of coach would you be looking for to take over from, uh, from Otis Gibson? Well, for me, it's not about the coach. It's about what process are we going to put in place to be able to find and identify not only the best coach, but the best support staff. The coach cannot work alone. The coach needs to have people that he really can work well with, who he can trust. So it's about the process that we put in place to, to get the best possible team of support staff to take the team forward for the next at least four years. That's the thing I'd question. It's not so much the one coach. It's the team and how do we go about ensuring that we pick the best people that give the team the best possible chance of success. So it's the process I think is really key. Well, I am going to allow you to put your hat in the ring. Uh, would you throw your name forward? I mean, would you be, be keen to be among that support staff in the future? Um, I think it all depends on who are the support staff and what is it, how is the system put together. Uh, I've been part of systems that aren't well put together or put together by people or for their own reasons, and I've just seen how that does not work, and I wouldn't be prepared going forward to be involved in that, it doesn't matter at what level or what position. But when something's set up for success, then it's awesome to, you know, to consider being part of it. Uh, Paddy, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. CS mentioned your book. Just uh, give us a bit of insight uh, as to, to where people can get it. It's available in all the major bookstores, Amazon, Robin Books. Um, it is available online. Um, it's on Amazon as an ebook, so pretty much it's anywhere the barefoot coach. And if you can also order it, uh, and it can be delivered to your door via my website, the website, which is uh, thebarefootcoach.net. Thank you so much, Paddy Upton, a man who has cricket running through his veins. And let's hope that uh, he is part of the Proteus support staff in the near future, or who knows, even heading up at the coaching staff. Paddy, uh, we'll chat to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Seth, for the conversation. Hi, I'm Paul Adams, and you're listening to CS and Derek on Inside the Cricket World Cup.
Thank you very much, uh, Paul Adams. Uh, also, I'd say you'd be including Paul Harris, but unfortunately he's uh, left us, uh, so we'll be wrapping up the show, myself and CS, uh, as we talk to the end of yet another Crick Inside the Cricket World Cup podcast. Just a quick shout out to sportsnation.co.za uh, proud sponsors uh, of the podcast. Uh, let us take you there. Their official title plenty of packages out and about uh, just uh, scrolling through their website sportsnation.co.za uh, Rugby World Cup SA versus Namibia. We've also got Pool B. You can follow South Africa over in Japan. They've also got semi-finals one and two as well as a final that uh, comes in at a great price of 64,905 rand semis and the final over in Japan. It is a must-visit event. Um, uh, certainly a bucket list. Jeez, uh, I'd love to go, go to that one. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think Japan is the place I've always wanted to go. But, you know, with uh, the, the cricket team, uh, with Banyana, the, the other teams letting us down, the Springboks all of a sudden have all this pressure on them to do well at the Rugby World Cup. Because, I mean, South Africa's journey at this World Cup is down to two games and they're dead rubbers. Yeah, there's actually plenty of international tournaments that South Africa is involved in this year, 2019. We always know that uh, whenever it's a cricket World Cup on the go, there's also a rugby World Cup. But you mentioned Banyana Banyana, and we're speaking on the day that they opened their account at the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, also got the Netball World Cup coming up, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, lots to look forward to. Yeah, plenty, plenty. It's, it's a busy year for sport in general. And unfortunately, um, we haven't hit the highs that we were craving for so long. And now I suppose we have to shift our focus to who the four teams are. They're going to make the semifinals at Cricket World Cup. I mean, New Zealand have just been playing a, a solid brand of cricket. They've been doing everything right, despite dropping a few catches. And they got over the line uh, against the West Indies in what has to be the best game of the World Cup so far. Yeah, I, I think it was coming to a bit of a lull with regards to the Cricket World Cup because we had the top four dominating matters. Uh, we had the Proteas from South Africa's perspective doing very badly. And uh, I, I think it looked like a, a, an inevitable uh, outcome in that we had the top four and we thought, ah, oh, we're going to get a whole bunch of meaningless dead rubbers. Uh, we're still going to get a few dead rubbers, um, but we had the West Indies coming ever so close to New Zealand a day after Sri Lanka defeated England. And it was Carlos Brathwaite who almost got them over the line. Uh, if that ball was just a meter higher, it would have evaded the clutches of, uh, who was it, Tim Sardi took the clutch or uh, Trent Bolt? Trent Bolt. Trent. And then he dropped one in the game anyway. He did, he? and yeah. it was a sitter as well. But uh, that was a very good catch. And, and Carlos Brathwood, of course, who can forget, who got West Indies to a World T20 title, uh, I think it was two or three years ago. And uh, I still went on Twitter saying that there's beautiful symmetry in the fact that a day earlier where England uh, lost it to Sri Lanka, the man who was left to try and rescue the innings was one Ben Stokes, who, of course, was the bowler who Carlos Brathwaite smashed for four consecutive sixes as uh, he took the West Indies over the line. So, uh, yeah, up until that weekend, people were saying that's a dull World Cup. There haven't been many close finishes. And then you had South Africa coming close against New Zealand. You had that England-Sri Lanka game. You had the New Zealand-West Indies game. Suddenly, it's alive and well again. And what about Afghanistan and India? Whoa. I mean, I, I can't believe that uh, there was a tweet that went out by the Board of Control for Cricket in India saying, thumped Afghanistan by 11 runs. Yeah. I mean, come on. That could have gone south very quickly. And uh, imagine that. India beaten by Afghanistan. That, that would have been one of the biggest upsets ever in, in World Cup history. Well, I think sporting history because I was so desperate, uh, as any neutral was, for, for Afghanistan to, to get over the line. 
And, and my reasoning was because I still consider the Springboks loss to Japan at the 2015 Rugby World Cup as the biggest upset in sport. And in very similar circumstances in that the Springboks have won the World Cup twice. India have won the Cricket World Cup twice up against two minnows of the game, uh, you'd have to say. Definitely. And, and I reckon if Afghanistan had pulled that off, that would have trumped the Springboks lost to Japan as the biggest upset in sport. I completely agree. I completely agree. But it just shows the composure India have, the gamers that they have. I mean, their bowling attack, I mean, Kuldeep pulled it back, Chahail, uh, Bumra, I mean, yeah. It, it, there's a hat trick. I mean, it was it was unbelievable that they could keep their composure under that pressure and still get over the line. Yeah, it was a, a really good performance. And you mentioned the the thumping tweet that uh, BCCR sent out, uh, and someone very diplomatically replied saying, "Oh, they probably misspelt trumped." <laughs> and and I, I don't think so. We know the BCCR; they like to to play their heroes uh, on to, to the hilt. So I reckon they meant that. But uh, yeah, uh, some very very good performances uh, across the board over the last couple of days. Very exciting matches. Uh, not so much from the South African perspective, but that just means that it's opened the tournament somewhat. But just because of that England loss, because I do think that the the schedule was structured in such a way that England would only face tough opposition towards the end of the round robin stage because the last time um, England hosted the, the World Cup back in 1999, they were knocked out fairly early in the tournament, so much so uh, the official song was only released a day after they were officially knocked That's out. Unlucky. <laughs> so, so the organisers certainly wanted their, their home side to, to be in it right until the end. Um, and now they find themselves in the precarious position. They're fourth on the table. They're currently at eight points, two clear of Sri Lanka. But they've got the big three still to come in the form of uh, Australia, New Zealand and India. Yeah, and I, and I think Sri Lanka, after their results um, recently, they'll, they'll back themselves against South Africa. You know, um, they're, they're flying high. Lassif I think Maling- any, anyone will back themselves against SA right now. This is true. But I think Lassith Malinga pulled out some fantastic um, uh, deliveries. Just showed that he's still got that class. Um, all of a sudden, Sri Lanka might be saying, hang on here, we've got a chance to make the last four, potentially, if, if some results go away. And uh, if England start to str- struggle, who knows? But uh, it is interesting because I think at this stage, England got out the blocks so well against us in that opening game. And uh, everyone was like, it's their World Cup to lose. Yeah, that, that was certainly the case. But now they've got two losses under the belt, one coming against Sri Lanka and one coming against Pakistan. Those who probably been the two least expected wins uh, or losses that they were set to incur. Now the pressure is certainly on them. And, and having a look at a, a message that was sent out, well, these are the stats that came out um, a, a few days ago following uh, that loss. Now England's tough test. This was set out by Crick Info. World Cup record versus upcoming opponents. The, the opponents has mentioned Australia, India, New Zealand. They'd last defeated Australia in a World Cup back in 1992. Wow. That long ago. That long ago. Same date as India, in fact. They last uh, beat India back in 1992. Now, here's the, the kicker. New Zealand. Uh, and New Zealand are side, despite never having won the World Cup, they seem to, to bring it whenever it comes to, to the tournament. They, they've got an outstanding record when it comes to this event. They last beat New Zealand back in 1983. I was two at the time. That is incredible. And, and since then, against Australia in World Cups, they're 0-3. Against India, they're 0-2 with an asterisk because they did tie one match back in 2011 when, when they went on to win the World Cup. 
And since 1983 against New Zealand, they're 0-5. That means they haven't beaten any of these sides in 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 attempts, theoretically, because you've still got the tie. And these are that, three sides that they have to beat now. That's incredible. But that said, though, there's some proper, proper players in this England team. I still think batting-wise, when Roy comes back, um, he up the top of the order, he's, he's devastating. Jofra Archer, they've mixed up their bowling a little bit. So I think that they've still got enough to get past at least two of those guys. Yeah, you'd think so. But geez, history yeah. does repeat itself. Yeah. Hey, it's a funny way of doing that. It can. And I mean, you look at how these teams have performed. I think probably if you'd asked me five days ago, I'd probably say New Zealand would have been the weakest of the three and they would have been there for the taking. However, they proved against us that they're a very strong side. Again, though, are we a very good benchmark? Then they, they managed to, to just edge the West Indies, who we know are capable of beating anyone on their day. They're also capable of losing to anyone on their day. But, but they've got a very interesting team because it's not a, a team jam-packed with all-stars. Uh, you've got the likes of Kane Williamson, who is sensational. You've got uh, Ross Taylor. Um, but you've got uh, Lockie Turner. Ferguson. Ferguson, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Ferguson. Jeez, where's he come out of? And he's quick. Wow. He is rapid, to say the least. Uh, there's also that Matt Henry guy, I think, yeah. but he's also 140, somewhere around there. De Grandholm, born in Zimbabwe, yeah. uh, playing for, for them. These guys are, are solid players, but they're not the rock stars, Coley's or, you know, um, the Jofra Archers or, you know, those sort of players. Um, these guys are just uh, incredibly, I think it comes back to that whole culture thing. They believe in themselves. They believe that they can play. But the way Kane Williamson has led from the front with bats, he didn't panic. He accelerated when he needed to. I think they've offered their bowlers platforms or they've, you know, gone about chasing that because they've got a, a, a sense of believing in themselves and just guys who turn up, they just turn up on the big occasion. So, and, and then you've got Australia, who, who like we mentioned with New Zealand, they, they, they always tend to, to turn it on when it comes to World Cup, so much so that they're going to and win the damn thing. Um, I mean, we always carry on about how South Africa's term chokers. Uh, you could maybe apply that to New Zealand in the fact that they've always come close, but no cigar. But uh, certainly one side that is the antithesis of being a choker are the Aussies. No matter how bad a run they have in the three years preceding a World Cup, when it comes to the World Cup, they always seem to, to, to put on a performance uh, that takes them to the title. Of course, they did it again four years ago on their, their own backyard. But uh, the Aussies, geez, there's just something about them in World Cups. You can't write them off at this one. I mean, uh, the way David Warner has just made runs for fun, uh, he's the difference with that side. I mean, batting-wise, Usman Khawaja, you know, he's a, he's a good player, a good international player. But... Warner and Smith are their two rock stars. And when Maxwell gets it right, the big show, you know, he can be absolutely devastating. Then you've got Stark, Cummins. Aaron uh, Finch. Finch can also play. I mean, all of a sudden, they look like some rock stars on paper here. And, and for me, at this stage, they're a shoo for the, for, the, for the final. Yeah, I'd have to say, uh, uh, Australia and India look, look like the teams to beat. But New Zealand again, as mentioned. Now, some of the dark horses, Pakistan beating South Africa, combined with the win over England, Mickey Arthur said straight after the game against the Proteas that we're right back in this. And, and that certainly is true. Um, they're currently sitting at five points, which uh, puts them three off uh, the top four position. England are, are sitting with that, that in that fourth spot with eight. And Pakistan, as we saw against South Africa, um, yes, uh, some undoubted match winners. It was great to see uh, Harris Sahel do so well. Oh, wasn't great. Uh, 
speaking as a yeah, South African. But uh, I think from here on in, as a neutral, jeez, it, it, he, he, he certainly brought it out. But I, I think that that, um, that Pakistan performance was as a result of uh, the way they were lambasted after they yeah. lost to India. But, I mean, it was horrified to see, like, um, Safra's being abused in London while he was with his son, you know, by fans and that sort of thing. And social media was, a, it was absolutely uh, off the charts. So I think there was a response, but it just shows when that Pakistan team clicks, they've got some quality fast bowlers. I mean, uh, Baba and Fakar and the list goes on. When they bat, and they can bat, they're awesome to watch. And, and it makes it very difficult to bowl to them because they're such technically sound players. I really love to see Pakistan do well. And they've uh, a team that have done well in the past. They've, they've won the World Cup back in 1992. Also, with the backs against the wall, they won the, the most recent Champions Trophy. And, and that was also on the back of getting smashed by India during the, the round-robin stages. So uh, they're a team that likes to, to, to come back uh, from the death, and they certainly have a come-from-behind attitude whenever they do play. And, and it's also nice to see Mickey Arthur do well. I, I think he got shunted when he was coach of Australia, also didn't have the most glorious of exits when he was at the helm at the Pro years and really good to see him doing well and also very good to see Neil McKenzie doing well as well one of the few South Africans where you could say geez uh, a World Cup semi-final is in sight yeah it's unreal hey I mean uh, what Neil McKenzie's done with that Bangladesh batting unit they and it all comes down to the self-belief because um, you've got Mishwick Kurake they didn't win their their last game but Mishwick Kurake came in scored that magnificent hundred uh, Sakibul Hassan has been outstanding with the batting they're they're these guys that everyone kind of wrote off before the World Cup, all of a sudden they could potentially be in the mix for a semi-final. Yeah, so that uh, pretty much wraps it up as far as teams uh, are still in with a shot of the top four. The West Indies, barring Miracle, I think they're pretty much out. Two teams that you can guarantee you won't be seeing in, in the final four, South Africa and Afghanistan, as much as it breaks my heart to say. It's been a, a disastrous campaign from Faf Duplessis and his men. And uh, yeah, we can uh, only look forward to Two strong performances as they finish off their tournament. First up, Sri Lanka, and uh, over against Australia. The very final match uh, of the round-robin phase, which is bizarre, as mentioned earlier, considering that we saw South Africa play the very first match of the tournament when they took on England. Now they've got a very, very long wait. Do you think they're going to just party it up over in the UK? Uh, yeah, You said they probably want to get back home, but I don't know. I, I think being over in the UK, following this disastrous campaign, you probably want to stay as far away as you can from the South African public. Yeah, a friend of mine was saying that they, they've been to one or two games now and uh, watching South Africa play. There's not much hype around the World Cup in England. And they say not even in the tube or anything. They, do you see it advertised or anything? Once you get in front of the ground, then you realize there's something happening. But in general, I think you're right. I think maybe they're quite happy to avoid the South African media, uh, the public here, because we're incredibly passionate. And... Um, I think there'll be some, they'll be hurting, but I think the pressure will be off now. Now they'll be out to express themselves and just play. But I, I do think um, question marks around KG and, and Lungi, will they play in these, these next two games? Maybe it's time to rest them. Let Buren play, let uh, Dwayne Pretorius come into the mix and, and give Shamsi a run. Who knows? But I think they'll, they'll definitely be hurting. There'll be some soul searching that needs to be done. And players will be questioning their international careers, that's for sure. It's a pity that uh, there hasn't been much hype around the World Cup over in England. I remember when I was there for the T20 back in 2009. Um, it was pretty much a similar thing. But at then, the, the T20 tournament uh, was very much new territory. So you can understand that not many people knew about it. Uh, I thought 
being from an outsider watching on TV, I, I thought the marketing has been tremendous. We've spoken about it quite a few times with regards to the song. The song has grown on me tremendously. Uh, I do think the lyrics don't fit a, a, a cricketing game whatsoever. No. <laughs> but uh, the stand-up part certainly does. But I, I've been very impressed with the song. Um, I'll be heading over there in a couple of days uh, for the remainder of the tournament. I was going to stay to catch the semis in the final. Um, don't think I'll, I'll be too interested now, but I'll definitely be there for the Manchester game. And uh, it's always nice to pull one over the Aussies. So even though it's a dead rubber, it's... <laughs> always we, we want to get one over the old enemy yeah we won't be lacking in motivation that's for sure i think south africa would love to uh finish the world cup when they they have to eventually come back to south africa with one w you can't go and have just have beaten afghanistan you've got to come back with two and who knows maybe they'll get past sri lanka and australia and you know then it'll be sort of three wins and it'll be some solace or some silver lining if you like Oh, let's hold thumbs. And uh, just before that, I'll be heading over to Namibia to go for a pre-season tour with the Titans. It will also be Albie Morkel's swan song. And speaking of Albie Morkel, uh, I posed the question to him. His World Cup 11 of players that he's played with and against. And uh, this is what he had to say. Derek, it's a tough one to pick. Um, there's a couple of other options I can go with, but let's stick with this one. So Gale to open. His partner will be Tendulkar, uh, Callas at three, Kohli at four, De Villiers at five. Dhoni will come in at six. Then into my all-rounders, Flintoff at seven, Shahida Fridi eight, Sean Pollock nine, Shoaib Akhtar ten, and then Mutaya Muralitharan eleven. Nice one from Albi Morkel going over those names again. Chris Gale and Sachin Tendulka up front. No surprises there. Jacques Cullis, Virat Kohli, A.B. de Villiers, M.S. Dhoni, Andrew Flintoff. Nice pick there. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah, so am I. Uh, Shahida Freedy, Sean Pollock, Sharp Akta, and Murlithran. Murlithran. Um She's quite a, quite a heavy bowling lineup. So you'll have Flintoff, Afridi, Pollock, and Akta handling the balls. Uh, Murley with the spin. Jeez, and you've still got Callis to come in. Heavy all-rounders, but uh, a tough side. Yeah, it takes some beating that team, that's for sure. And I mean, Chris Gale still got it. You saw the, the boss uh, as he's got emblazoned on his bat, just uh, bossing the game. So uh, I think I can't argue too much. Shane Warne, 12th man, maybe? Yeah. Possibly there, but I mean, that is a power side. Yeah, it certainly is. I'll uh, be more cool. What a great servant he's been to the game. He'll be finishing things off over the next couple of days as the Titans take on Namibia uh, over in Namibia. It should be a, quite an exciting couple of days uh, for him and the team. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a couple of quite exciting hours for myself, uh, CS and Paul Harris. I uh, hope uh, Paul Harris made it safely to wherever he had to go to. Uh, yeah, CS, it's been great as always. Yeah, thanks, man. I think uh, it's it's a pity because driving in here, I was going and a uh, big thank you to Dopio Zero, of course, for hosting us once again. But I said to uh, someone, I was going like to Ray, who's our producer. I said to him, I don't even want to talk about cricket. It's so depressing at the moment. But I think it's been a cathartic experience and there's certainly a soul searching that needs to be done.
Yeah, big thank you to Dop Yazira. I almost forgot about them uh, here in Southdown in Centurion. Hosting us once again. Very nice to get here this morning. There's a big reserved sign over on our table. They really, really do look after us. The coffee's been fantastic. Highly recommended. Also, big thank you once again to sportsnation.co.za. See us saying that they didn't really want to speak about cricket, so we managed to speak a little bit about rugby. And uh, as mentioned, if you want to go over to the Rugby World Cup, simply contact sportsnation.co.za. They've got some fantastic... Uh, packages on offer, not just for rugby, but uh, all sports. And uh, as we spoke about, there are plenty of international tournaments on the go with South Africa being involved with many of them. Good luck to Bafana. Bafana, by the time you hear this, uh, they'll either be in action. Hopefully, they'll have uh, started their campaign with a win. But uh, yeah, we we certainly wish them uh, more uh, luck than South Africa have endured in the Cricket World Cup. Yeah, Baxter's a top man, and uh, I think he's got some good players then. You know, uh, their group, we've got Ivory Coast, uh, their opening game. It could be very interesting. Namibia also. Uh, so we'll wait and see what happens there. But I think Bafana Bafana hopefully will do us proud. Yeah, certainly so. So thanks for joining us for Inside the Cricket World Cup with CS Derek and Paul Harris. We'll be back soon where hopefully we can report on better fortunes for the Proteus. Cheers.